Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 65 and can be found on pages 580 through 581 of the Church Bibles. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion, and you, to you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the, their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12 and can be found on page 971 in the Church Bibles. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if you ask, as if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So reading through Psalm 65 this week, that was the psalm that Kai had read earlier. Reading through Psalm 65 this week, I was reminded of an uncle of mine, an uncle from the distant past, an uncle I'll call Uncle Ross. Now, like many of you, I suspect, I grew up in a very sensible family. Now, I didn't say normal family because I come to realize there's no such thing as a normal family. But the family that I grew up in was very, very sensible. Uh, we were sensible people, sensible in most things we did. Uh, sensible about what we ate, sensible about when we went to bed, 
uh, sensible about where we shopped and how much we spent, uh, sensible about we, what we read and what we watched on TV. Uh, we were sensible about the habits we formed and the, um, the routines we adopted. But this was the reason that Uncle Ross was so interesting and so fun for me. Uncle Ross was not sensible. <laughs> well, not in the way perhaps that I had come to expect sensible to be. Uh, Uncle Ross was fun. And he really didn't have a sense of, always, of what should be done in every situation, what should be done properly in every situation. So, for example, uh, with Uncle Ross, seatbelts were optional in the car. He would say, well, we're not going far anyway. Why do we need seatbelts, right? Uh, so with Uncle Ross, when we went to the ice cream shop, it wasn't just one scoop you could get, which was the sensible amount, right? You could get two scoops, or even three scoops, or even two cones. It didn't matter. With Uncle Ross, it was all good. Uh, with Uncle Ross, we didn't have to choose, for example, to take one or two biscuits or cookies for a snack uh, if we had, for example, Oreos. No, we could have the whole package and basically eat the biscuits or eat the cookies like they were potato crisps, just one after another, into the mouth. All right? So you're getting a, a picture here of Uncle Ross, I hope, right? Uh, one more thing. Uh, when you stayed overnight at Uncle Ross and my aunt's house, bedtime was always negotiable. And um, we were usually able to negotiate a later one every time we stayed there. So again, Uncle Ross, a mm, little different kind of a guy, very different from the family that I grew up in. And it, one thing that always struck me about Uncle Ross was Everything that he was involved with or everything that he, let's say, um, touched, there was always just plenty, plenty. There was plenty of time with Uncle Ross. There was plenty of food with Uncle Ross. Uh, there was plenty of uh, latitude uh, with Uncle Ross. Uh, plenty of leeway, plenty of flexibility. Just, just plenty of everything. There, was no sh there were no shortages when Uncle Ross was, was concerned. And so from a child's perspective, it was really good to have an Uncle Ross. It was great to have an Uncle Ross. It was great to have someone who was, well, a giver of so much good and a person of plenty. So I was reminded of Uncle Ross in my reading of Psalm 65 this week because I think for David, the writer of Psalm 65, I think for David, his God is in some way the most perfect, the most powerful, the most profound Uncle Ross. This because David, for David, his God is his ultimate source of plenty. The plenty that David receives in his life and enjoys in his life. This plenty David always attributes to his God. So for David, God is his great provider. And in Psalm 65, David praises him for this. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Psalm 65. And we're going to take a look, a look at what David says in this psalm about his God of plenty. And throughout it, throughout it, we'll ask ourselves if our perspective of God matches David's perspective of God. We'll ask ourselves what it means for us that God is this great provider of plenty. Psalm 65 starts out with David giving God a shout out for who he is and what he does. 
And as part of this shout-out, he promises an appropriate response of God's people. He says this, Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to, all, to you, all people will come. So here at the beginning of the psalm, we see that David expects that given who God is and what he's done for his people, that his people will come to him in thanksgiving and praise. They will give him a response of commitment, a response of worship, a response that involves action. They will approach him with humility and gratitude, for, again, for who he is and what he's done. And then next, in verse 3, we get into the plenty. We get into the plenty. In verse 3, David begins to describe where exactly in his life he has experienced this God as his source of plenty. He says this, When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. So God has supplied David with plenty of forgiveness here. And for David, of course, this is no small matter. David, as some of you might know, needed to draw upon this well of forgiveness many times in his life. And not least of all, again, some of you might remember the story, not least of all, when David had set up a very successful murder contract on his lover's husband. David needed to go often to this well of God's forgiveness. And once there, he needed to go deep. He needed to draw up bucketfuls of forgiveness for the sins he had committed. You forgave our transgressions, David says in verse 3. So let's think about that in relation to ourselves this morning. Let's think about God as the giver of plenty of forgiveness. So first of all, I think we'd have to admit that the subject of forgiveness, and particularly forgiveness from God, can be a tricky one for us as human beings. Let me explain what I mean. I sometimes have the sense that when it comes to, to human beings, half of us, half of us, we'll say this half of the church, uh, half of us can't seem to conceive of a God who is willing to forgive us. And the other half of us, we'll say this half of the church, uh, we can't conceive of a sin for which we need to be forgiven. The balcony, you folks are okay. You're all good, right? <laughs> Just the problem's down here, right? So this half, right, can't conceive of a God who would be so gracious as to forgive for all they've done. This half can't conceive of a sin they've done that actually needs forgiveness, right? It's kind of the human condition. We either think too much or too little of ourselves and God in this respect. So, we don't get it most of the time or much of the time. But it's a good thing we're sitting here today because that is really what the Church of Jesus Christ is all about. What this church and hopefully all Christian churches are about is the fact that each of us Everyone, each and every one of us desperately needs the forgiveness of God. And we need this forgiveness on the account of the bad we've done and the good we haven't done. Each of us needs this forgiveness of God. But of course, that's not all this church should be about, right? Announcing that everyone needs forgiveness. We should also be about the fact that this need, this need for forgiveness, has been met by God, and this being met through the death and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. And this forgiveness that he offers through his son, it's available to us no matter what we've done, no matter how bad we've been or how much good we haven't done. So to return to the water metaphor from before, again, we're thinking of God as the giver of plenty of forgiveness, right? To return to the water metaphor from before, if the pride we've demonstrated in our lives, if the self-absorption we've exhibited, if the meanness we've displayed, if the indifference we've shown, if the hurt we've caused, if the abuse we've inflicted, if the damage we've done to others, if, if all this that I've just talked about, if this requires a swimming pool of forgiveness, well, then God's got an ocean. He's got plenty. And if you or I require an ocean, well, God's got seven. And if we need seven oceans, God has an entire universe of forgiveness to grant to us. God has got plenty of forgiveness, David reminds us. And we just have to realize that we need it and that we can have it. Let's move on. Verse 4, David goes on to celebrate another facet of God as the giver of plenty. And this facet of plenty is now the spiritual blessings that God gives. He says this. This is what David says. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled. That's a word of plenty there. Filled. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. So, as many of you know, in David's day, the temple was thought to be a place of God's presence. When you went to the temple, you were close to God. And for David, close to God is definitely a good place to be. What he suggests here is that when he's close to God, plenty of good things come his way. He's filled with good things, David says, when he finds himself close to God. So let me ask you this. What kinds of good things do you think David is talking about here when he says, when I'm close to God, when I'm in his temple, in his house, I'm filled with good things? When you are by God, in his presence, close to him, what kinds of good things do you think come your way? What kind of plenty follows from a life lived in near distance to him? Well, if you were to take certain biblical texts in isolation or watch too much Christian TV or the wrong kind of Christian TV or if you listen to too many misinformed, misled church people around the world talk about this kind of a thing, you might be tempted to think that when you're close to God, it's health and wealth, and a trouble-free life that you can expect because you are in his presence. But I'm here to say that, sorry, this is not necessarily true. It can be true, of course, but it's not necessarily true. This because what you get when you're close to God, the plenty that God most often shares with you, is the plenty of such things as his love, the plenty of his grace, the plenty of his mercy, the plenty of his peace, the plenty of his joy, the plenty of his patience, the plenty of his wisdom. I could go on and on. You see, when we're close to God, when we live in his near presence, 
We experience the plenty of such spiritual blessings, not necessarily the plenty of material blessings. Some of you might know the Apostle Paul echoes the same sort of sentiment in Ephesians 1 when he talks about all the benefits of one's relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And he says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay, so through verse 4, David has praised God for the plenty of his forgiveness and the plenty of spiritual blessings. Now starting in verse 5, David celebrates the plenty of God's power. The plenty of God's power as revealed in creation. First, David praises God for his plenteous power used to rule over the creation. And I'm starting now at verse 5, reading, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled, again, another plenty word, right? The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. So that was David's praise to God for his plenteous power used to rule over the creation. But then he goes on to praise God for his plenteous power used to care for the creation, caring for it in order to bless all people. No, again, the language of plenty in these next verses. You care for the land and water it, David says. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to, to provide people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty. And your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks. And the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. So all of creation is subject to God's immense power. And sometimes this power is scary, as some of us have witnessed. But this power experienced by David in Psalm 65 is mainly a benevolent power. It's a beneficial power, which enriches him and all people on earth. Because of the plenty of God's power in creation, David experiences the plenty of this earth. Because of the plenty of God's power, David enjoys the plenty of bread and meat and milk and wine and all the good things this earth has to offer. Okay, so let's take a moment now and just reflect on this aspect of God's plenty. The plenty of his power as revealed in creation. So I wonder how many of us experience the plenty of creation, the plenty of this world, uh, the plenty that's present in our lives in the way David experiences it as articulated in Psalm 65. Uh, the plenty we enjoy in our lives, whether that's minuscule plenty, modest plenty, or massive plenty. I wonder how many of us experience this plenty as a product of the plenty of God's power, the plenty of his power in and through creation. I wonder how many of us experience this 
as a generous and benevolent gift from our God. Let me explain. So in David's day, in David's day, I think people more commonly viewed what they had as a gift. When you received something then, it was because someone had given it to you. And in David's case, it was your God who had given it to you. The plenty one enjoyed was attributed to, attributed to the plenty God had given. Nowadays, though, when we are the recipients of plenty, as so many of us are, I wonder if the attribution is sometimes different. Nowadays, perhaps, when we receive, it is perhaps not because someone else gave, but rather it is because we earned, we saved, we sacrificed, we invested, we studied hard, we worked long, we accomplished, we achieved, we outsmarted, out-hustled, out-performed. And this way of thinking really changes the way we view our plenty. It really changes the way we use our plenty. Again, whether that plenty be minuscule, modest, or massive. After all, I mean, it's logical, right? If we are responsible for the plenty that we possess, if we created our plenty through our own plenteous power, then we naturally and rightfully are lords of our plenty. We're in charge of it. And then we get to use our plenty or not use our plenty as we please, and we get to use it in a way that reflects who we are and what we value, not necessarily in a way that reflects who God is and what he values. And this is a very different perspective indeed from David's perspective in Psalm 65. When David considers all that he has, when he considers the plenty that he enjoys, the word he repeats over and over in verses 9, 10, and 11, if you have your, your Bibles out or the, the verses in front of you, look at the first word in verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11. The word David repeats over and over again, and this is, in the Hebrew is the way emphasis is shown. The word repeated over and over again is you. When David talks about plenty, he talks about it in terms of you, God, not me, David. You, God, not me, David, are behind all this plenty that I experience. So I wonder this for all of us here this morning. What pronoun do we associate with our plenty? What pronoun do we associate with our plenty? What pronoun do we associate with our plenty of money, our plenty of intelligence, our plenty of accomplishments, our plenty of achievements, our plenty of friends, or even, even our plenty of sanctification. Is it the pronoun I? Or is it, like David, the pronoun you that is associated with our plenty? Now, I know most of us have been trained well enough, or many of us have been trained well enough to Say you as in you, Lord, when it comes to our plenty. But do our lives really attest to this? Does the degree of humility that we possess, does the degree of modesty we display, does the degree of generosity we show, do these point to God as the source of our plenty? 
or to us as the source of our plenty. Something for all of us to consider. So let me close our discussion of Psalm 65 this morning by having us think about this. I've talked this morning about God as the God of plenty. And I think if most of us were honest, we'd have to say that our experience of this world is not an experience of plenty alone. It's not an experience of plenty alone. All of us deal with deprivation in some way. I've been talking about plenty all morning and some of you are sitting, sitting there saying, well, when's my plenty coming, Lord? We all, whether we admit it or not, we all deal with deprivation, shortages. Um, yeah, our fridges are probably mostly, I guess, mainly filled with food and probably most of us have some money in the bank. Um, but yet, there's real deprivation in most of our lives, actually all of our lives. Uh, we might be deprived, for example, of good physical health or good mental health. Those are common, common deprivations. Uh, we might be deprived of, of easy mobility, getting around, not so easy anymore. We might be deprived of time, we might be deprived of sleep. We might be deprived of peace, peace in our minds, peace in our hearts, peace in our homes, peace in our lives. We might be deprived of love in our life. We feel very lonely. We might be deprived of, of contentment. We always want more. Uh, we might be deprived of a feeling of self-worth. We don't feel we're all that. All these deprivation, deprivations. Um, we might be feeling deprived of a loved one who was once so close to us but now is no more, not so close to us. So how, how can all this deprivation exist if we hold God to be a God of plenty? If we believe in this God of plenty, why, why all this lacking in our lives? Well, obviously there's lots about that answer um, that I can't uh, talk about or I'm not able to explain everything, God's ways. But I do know this. Uh, many, many years ago, Many, many years ago, we humans, in effect, told God that we didn't want his plenty, right? He offered us a life of his plenty, a life according to his definition of plenty, at least. But through Adam and Eve, we rejected it. We had paradise, right? But we said, no thanks, or thanks, but no thanks. We'd rather do our own thing, go our own way. We wanted a life characterized by our own definition of plenty. We wanted a life in which we were God and he was not. A life in which we decided what was important and he didn't. A life in which we called the shots and not him. So for this reason, deprivation entered into this world. All kinds of deprivation, not just the ones I mentioned earlier. But fortunately for us, that's not the end of the story. Through Jesus Christ, the fullness of God, right? He's described as the fullness of God. Through Jesus Christ, the beginning of the end of deprivation was announced. And this is when Jesus told of his arrival and coming of his kingdom. A kingdom in which there would be no more deprivation. A kingdom in which there would only be wholeness and completeness and fulfillment and contentment and satisfaction. A kingdom in which there would only be Plenty. 
And if we look at his life, we see some clues to this. We see some indicators, some signs. His miracle, for example, of turning water into wine. This was a foreshadowing of the fullness and plenty of his kingdom, as was the feeding of the 5,000. This also pointed to this plenty of his kingdom. And the miracle catch of 153 fish. This also pointed to a, a kingdom of plenty that Jesus would finally someday usher in. And then his suffering and death, well, that advanced the progress of this kingdom irreversibly. It was coming. But in the meantime, we wait, right? We wait for kingdom to come. We wait for Christ to return and to establish this, this kingdom of plenty where there is no more deprivation. We wait for this kingdom of plenty to come, but here's the key. We don't wait twiddling our thumbs like this. We don't wait with our hands folded like that. We don't wait with our legs crossed, so to speak. It's okay if you're crossing your legs. Don't worry about it. It's a metaphor, right? But we wait engaged, our fingers and our hands and our feet, all engaged, the whole of ourselves engaged, engaged with the kingdom work of reversing the deprivation that is so common in the world because of the fall. So ultimately we can't end, we ourselves can't end the deprivation that is on planet earth. Only Christ can do that. But we can participate in his kingdom work of reversing deprivation around us. Think about it. Where there's deprivation of faith, we can do something about this, right? Of course, only through the strength of God and the power of God and the Holy Spirit. But where there's deprivation of faith, we can bring the gospel, right? Where there's deprivation of hope, we can do something. Where there's deprivation of love, we can do something. Where there's deprivation of truth, we can do something. Where there's deprivation of kindness, or food, or resources, justice, opportunities, all these areas of deprivation, we as kingdom people can do something about. So perhaps we just need to think of it this way. Not only are we children of a God of plenty, we are instruments of a God of plenty. We can be used by our God of plenty to restore plenty to this world. And so I pray that through God's Holy Spirit, this plenty, God's plenty, would be reflected in us, that people would, would see that God's kingdom is a kingdom of plenty, a, a kingdom that is all about reversing the deprivation that exists on this earth. And one of the ways, or some of the ways they can see this is through the forgiveness that we offer, just like Christ offers forgiveness. And our generosity and our compassion and our selflessness, all these things can be used to reverse the deprivation in our world and to witness to a God of plenty. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, our Father, God of plenty, make us your instruments of plenty on this earth. There's so much deprivation, Lord, on this earth. You see it, we see it. Lord, help us 
through your spirit to do something about it. Help us to bring light where there's darkness. Help help us to bring love where there's hatred. Uh, Help us to bring belief where there's only unbelief. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Go into the world this week giving thanks to the God of plenty. And go seeking to be his instruments of plenty as you live out your lives in his creation. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and remain with you always. Amen.